and welcome to What About Us. This is Sandy Rice, and this is the podcast in which we discuss policies that affect uh, rural Tennesseans. We've been talking about a couple of documents that our country set out over 200 years ago. First, we talked about the Constitution, how it came to be written, the separation of powers and impeachment. Then we took the Second Amendment and the Bill of Rights, the necessity to form a militia and the right to bear arms. We are continued this discussion to talk about gun violence legislation, but in Tennessee. Beth Joslyn Roth is the founder and executive director as well as policy director of Safe Tennessee Project, a grassroots organization dedicated to addressing the epidemic of gun-related injuries and gun violence in Tennessee. Our last episode, we went back to the 16 and 1700s to explore what had happened to the colonists before coming to the New World, as well as what was happening after they were here for a while that made them feel like they needed the Second Amendment. What happened to them was that British soldiers kept hanging around, stirring up trouble, which resulted in uh, independence from uh, England and the Revolutionary War. So welcome, Beth. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, we talked last time about a few things about your organization that I really like because they're similar to mine, and that is um, we don't believe that um, exaggeration, um, hysterics, knee-jerk reactions, etc., are useful uh, and stand in the way of effective action and finding common ground. Also, we're nonpartisan. I think it's um, important to note that your organization does respect the Second Amendment and does not advocate the confiscation uh, of guns that gun violence and injuries are a public health concern and not a political um, issue. Um, So we looked uh, last episode about federal response to gun violence and legislation, and today we're going to discuss Tennessee. Um, I hope some of you had had a chance to look at the SaveTennesseeProject.org website because there are many statistics about gun violence there. I do want to say, with all the work I do for um, health care, health care in Tennessee and all the grim statistics that I've given you in the past, um, that regarding uh, gun violence, we are in the upper 10 on some <laughs> indicators as opposed to the lower 10 on health care rankings, but it's still not good. So yeah, Beth it's... is going to start out with some of our statistics in Tennessee, which are as grim as healthcare. Yeah, these are statistics where you would rather be at the bottom than at the top. Um, unfortunately, um, Tennessee is um, one of the worst states in the country for gun violence, which is something I don't know that everybody really understands. Um, according to CDC data, uh, Tennessee is 11th in the country for firearm mortality. We're seventh for firearm homicide. Uh, We are fourth for both um, youth uh, gun deaths and youth gun homicides. We're 12th in the country for uh, youth suicide. Um, On average, every day in Tennessee, one to two people will use a gun to kill themselves. Um, We are also fifth in the country for women murdered by men. Um, most often with a gun and almost always by a man with whom they have a current or former relationship. Uh, We're eighth in the country for black homicide victimization, um, and we're consistently one of the top states for unintentional shootings involving children who gain access to irresponsibly stored firearms. Um, So the statistics are are grim. Um, And what's more troubling is the fact that every year we see 
those numbers, they're not getting better. We're going backwards. Uh, we're going backwards. This issue as well as health care. Exactly. And in fact, in 2017, more Tennesseans were killed uh, with firearms than any other year uh, in history. Mm-hmm. And, and we, we have a state gun. Yes, we do. Um, the Barrett, Not just any state gun. No, it's um, uh, the Barrett 50 caliber rifle. That's our official state rifle. Now, to be to be fair, it is manufactured um, in Tennessee, but it is a military weapon that can, quote, penetrate light armor, down helicopters, destroy commercial aircraft, and blast through rail cars, unquote. So that's pretty scary, too. Yeah, it's... Our state gun is not a gun that grandpas and grandsons use to go shoot squirrels. (laughs) No, it's definitely not that. Yeah, that's very sad. Well, um, there there are lots of areas of gun violence that you that you mentioned with the statistics. Um, Tell me about the one that you work the hardest. Well, I mean, to be honest, all of these um, they're all terrible. They're all terrible. Um, They're all uh, concerning for sure. Um, But I think what is most troubling to me is the fact that Tennessee remains one of the most dangerous states in the country for women. We have consistently been in the top 10 states for domestic violence homicides. Domestic violence, you know, the, the, when in a domestic violence situation, when a gun is present, it increases the likelihood of the victim being killed by 500%. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also know that domestic violence is a predictor for, for all manner of gun violence. So that's a, that's a big issue. Um, and the fact that, um, that we're not, you know, that it's, we're consistently one of the worst states. And then, you know, the, the other, um, Statistics that I find troubling are the ones that have to do with children. Um, you know, as a, as a parent, um, but also just as a as a decent person. Uh, mm-hmm. The fact that we're losing so many young people, children, toddlers, um, to gun violence every year is appalling. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, honestly, what's more appalling is the 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 lack of concern about mm-hmm. these issues okay. that we see. Um, Unfortunately, with a lot of our policymakers. So, um, do you have any uh, statistics on how often um, men shoot their partners versus the women? I don't have statistics. I don't. I, I, that I, I would think it was to, more men. It's way more men. Um, I mean, not to say that there aren't instances where women right. use a gun in a domestic violence situation, but it is far more men. Um, and what is what's really hard to wrap your head around um, is the number of these incidents that are murder suicides, mm. um, where you have a situation where a man will shoot. Uh, and kill uh, his wife, ex-wife, girlfriend, ex-girlfriend, and then turn the gun on himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are also instances where the in those situations where the uh, abuser will shoot not just his his partner but but their children, children. Right. Uh, and then themselves. That's sadly something that happens fairly regularly in our country, um, and unfortunately, it happens uh, it happens uh, with way more often than it should here in what Tennessee. Is, what is um, some legislation that that your group and the people that you work with have tried to put forward to to reduce uh, the domestic, domestic violence? violence? Mm-hmm. Well, so let me just give you a little bit of um, 
context, uh, and I'll try not to get too wonky on this, but um, if you are convicted of a domestic violence offense uh, under current state and federal law, um, you are legally prohibited from having firearms. That is the law. If you were convicted of domestic violence, of domestic violence offense, you can no longer have a gun, um, which means that you have to dispossess your gun, which means that's a legal term for get rid of it. Um, so in uh, some states, you are required to surrender your gun to law enforcement. In other states, you can surrender your gun to law enforcement or sell your gun to a licensed dealer. Um but in some states, like Tennessee, uh, you can dispossess to a third party, which means uh, uh, another person. So Tennessee is one of only 13 states that allows third-party dispossession. So in Tennessee, if you're convicted, you either have to give your gun to the police or sell it to a licensed dealer, um, or you can just dispossess it to a third party. Um, now, of the 13 states that allow third-party dispossession, Tennessee is the only one that does not require any information whatsoever about, about the person. third party. So it could be your buddy. Sure. It could dad. be somebody that you live with. Mm-hmm. It could be somebody who is themselves legally prohibited from having guns. Um, um, it could be somebody that doesn't even understand that you're not legally allowed to have guns. Okay. Or um, somebody that could take it and give it back to you. Yes, and this what, evening. absolutely. And what we know and what I know from working closely with law enforcement and district attorneys um, is that, uh, in fact, the, 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 the police officer that, that, I, that I work with, she actually said third-party dispossession, her term was, it's a joke. Because mm-hmm. often what happens is these abusers give their guns to somebody often in their family who they, ha- they have access to their, to their house and to they know where the gun anyway. is. So they, uh, and you know, we basically rely on the honor system. The way it is right now, the judge, you're convicted of a domestic violence offense. The judge says, if you have a gun, you have to get rid of it. And you say, okay. And that's the extent of it. Um, So this past year, we actually tried to file legislation that we had worked on for a number of years in conjunction with um, the Metro Office of Family Safety, which is a a governmental uh, domestic violence uh, uh, prevention agency um, that works with victims. Uh, We worked with law enforcement, the police chiefs. uh, We worked with district attorneys and judges. And we crafted what we felt was a very modest piece of legislation that would require any third party taking possession of a convicted offender's firearms to submit an affidavit to the court that affirmed that they were legally allowed to have firearms and acknowledged receipt of the offender's firearms. That's all that they had to to do. Um, And that legislation failed for lack of a second in the Senate Judiciary Committee. Uh, It never got out of committee. It never got out of committee. There were two Democrats on the committee, and one of them was absent that day, and so we could not even get a second on the bill, um, which was very frustrating. Mm -hmm. We had worked for years on that legislation. We had the support of law enforcement. We had folks there to testify and we were not even given an opportunity um, to, to even present the bill. Mm-hmm. Um, another piece of legislation that, was, uh, that we worked on or worked against last session, um, in 2017, we passed a, a, a law was passed, a, a number of groups worked on it, that um, created a dispossession form. Um, it directed the administrative office of the courts to create a form that an offender, upon conviction, would have to complete 
that said that, you know, they, uh, if they had firearms, they had to indicate how they plan to, um, how they plan to dispossess them. Mm-hmm. That's all it asked. It didn't ask who they were dispossessing them to, but it required them to, um, check a box that said, yes, I have guns and I plan to sell them or give them to a third party. And then they were required on the form to list their firearms. Um, that was a bipartisan bill. It had Republican sponsors. It had Democratic co-sponsors. It passed unanimously in the House and Senate was signed into law in 2017 by Governor Haslam. And it was seen as a real step forward mm-hmm. um, by a number of domestic violence agencies who were aware of our dismal statistics around domestic violence. Everybody thought that that was great. Well, this year, because the National Rifle Association decided that they did not like the form that the Administrative Office of the Courts created, the original bill sponsor of that 2017 bill filed legislation to overturn that legislation Mm -hmm. um, and to eliminate the form altogether and instead replace it with the form that the offender would sign before he entered a plea Uh, alerting him to the fact that if he pled guilty, then he would lose his right to have guns. Okay. So, so he was like aware, but no, no follow up, nothing there, but close. No. And and what was really frustrating is it was basically, I mean, that seems to me almost as though it's almost coercing someone to consider a not guilty plea. Um, I mean, it seemed to be that they were more concerned about that offender that Mm -hmm. a that violent man's right to have a gun than they were um, protecting his victim Mm -hmm. from being further victimized if he could regain access to the firearm. And what was interesting about that bill, it passed in the House, um, which was frustrating. And then when it got to the Senate, it was in the Senate Judiciary the same day that our bill did not make it out. Uh, that it didn't get a second. Um, that bill did get a second, and there was testimony, and there were testimony from uh, nationally recognized domestic violence um, uh, prevention advocates, um, attorneys. Uh, there were victims in the audience all talking about the importance of this form and why it was necessary and why it was you know, a, a, an important step in trying to protect women. And a senator, whose name I will not mention, um, but actually said to this room of people that included domestic violence victims um, that criminals don't follow laws and there are a lot of guns out there and these victims would be better off just learning self-defense. Ah, yes. I read about that. Which was truly stunning because I personally have a friend who was um, the victim of domestic violence and her ex, who was prohibited from having guns, regained access to his guns, came to her apartment where she and her child and her father uh, were living and shot through the door, um, shot her, shot her father in the presence of her son. Um, and so, you know, I'm not sure how much self-defense one can... can, can Learn it against the gun. When, I mean, through a door. He shot through a door. So anyway, um, what was very interesting is the week that all of that was going on was when the NRA made clear that they would be opposing reauthorizing the Violence Against Women Act um, at the national level um, because they did not like the fact that the, uh, the, the, the new version of the Violence Against Women Act um, included boyfriends, not just uh, marital partners, and that it also included stalkers. 
Um, because I suppose their thinking is that the stalker has rights, the stalker has rights. And so, you know, I don't know if, uh, you know, how many people have ever experienced stalking. I have not, but I have worked with some people Mm -hmm. who have, and it's terrifying. And if Mm -hmm. you have somebody driving around, um, your house and saying threatening things to you online and you know that they have firearms i mean that is a that's a scary Mm -hmm. situation Mm -hmm. so anyway that was what was going on that same week that we were dealing with um with 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 this legislation so that's that's some of the legislation that we have been trying to um you know keep in place the dispossession form um trying to pass the third party affidavit um but what you know what's frustrating is there's just really not any interest with a lot of our legislators um, there's just not really an interest in protecting women. And, you know, it's not just women. It's also is their it? families. Yeah. Because if, if the abuser, I mean, what you know from the research is that if the abuser can't find his victim, a lot of times he'll target her family, and that may mm-hmm. be her parents. Um, and it oftentimes is, um, is, is her children or even their children, a lot of mm-hmm. abusers. Or, or, yeah, or extended family, extended, I sure. think. Yes. You know, as, as well. And, Any way um, to hurt her. Right. Um, and so, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's disturbing. Mm-hmm. And I think just the, the, you know, the hopelessness, oh, you know, oh, well, they're going to get fill in the blank, you know, anyway. Uh, just no, um, you know, teeth in it. And I, I've been thinking uh, about um, some laws where a policeman would have to go to the home. To, mm-hmm. and, and that puts the, the officer you know, in danger. Sure. So, but there are people that not, I think there are some folks that aren't hardened criminals. Right. Um, that, that would take it more seriously, uh, of filling out a form. I mean, sure. You know, well, somebody I mean, that's, that's a, you know, a gangster or I don't know what, but would just, you know, ignore. Might not, but, but, but it, what if you have, you know, you have a hundred people in the state and, you know, 95 of them say, Oh, you know, I'm already in enough trouble. Right. Well, that's I better get. I better do the right thing here. Well, you have to think that if you know, let's say I took possession of your firearms, mm-hmm. okay, for domestic violence offense, and then let's say you came to me a month later, and you and you had to go fill out the affidavit, mm-hmm. and you come to me a month later and are like, "Hey, I need my guns back." I'm going to say, "Listen, Sandy, my name is on a piece of yeah, paper at that's the courthouse, right. and if you hurt somebody with those guns, like my name's on that." Yeah, um, and so it might create a deterrent for that person Mm -hmm. um and that's what we're what we're going for and you know in terms of the whole like bad guys are always going to find a way to get guns or criminals don't follow laws you know i find that so interesting because i hear that all the time but you know what you only hear that argument when it pertains to guns right exactly you never hear it with any like you don't ever hear anybody say you know what underage kids are always going to find a way to drink so right. maybe we should just not have a age requirement to buy alcohol. Or if people really want to, they'll they'll speed. Sure, let so everybody let's just, speed. Yeah, let's just have an autobahn and like not have speed limits. I mean, you never hear that. Mm-hmm. You know, people are still going to rape. People are still going to murder. People are still going to steal. Mm-hmm. But we still have laws in place as a mm-hmm. deterrent for those things. Right. That's what it is. Um, and I mean, it's, it's really interesting because that is always this comeback that, you know, mm-hmm. that we get all the time. And people that, that say that, you know, they, they kind of puff up like they've, you know, they've, they've owned you, like they've really put you in your place. But the thing is, you never hear that about anything Ooh, else. Another one would be drugs. And yes. marijuana. Yes. You know, people are going to take drugs, give her a smoke marijuana. Let's, 
And they were really struggling against even medical exactly. marijuana. Exactly. Or drinking. Yeah, all those substances. So, I mean, you know, so, it's, it's, it's uh, you know, my, and my comeback to that always is, yes, bad guys will sometimes find ways to get their hands on guns, but why do we make it easy? Mm-hmm. Why are we not all 100% committed to making it as difficult as possible for people who shouldn't have guns to get their hands on guns, that doesn't that doesn't impact the rights of a law-abiding citizen. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're not a domestic abuser, how would this third-party affidavit? Why would that be? Why would you have a problem with that? Yeah, you know, if you're not a negligent parent, if you know, which by the way, most gun owners are very responsible. I want to put that out there. The vast majority of gun owners are very responsible. We have a number of gun owners um, that are participants in in Safe Tennessee. You know, these are not the the type of people that would leave a loaded gun laying around for their toddler to pick up. These are not the kind of people that leave guns, um, you know, in, in plain view of their in their car. Yeah, with I their know car that was unlocked. another thing that I was making phone calls and, and yes. things about is to be able to carry a, a a gun in your car, or your trunk, because people would. I mean, I live in I live in a rural community. I lock my <laughs> Sure. In my car all the time, but people living in a big city, guns they don't. Being stolen and I mean, really, since that that law was passed in 2013, the, the guns and trunks law that makes it legal for you to transport guns and store them in your vehicle, even on property that prohibits firearms. Since that law was passed, gun thefts out of cars have skyrocketed across the the, the state. Um, they've gone up like 85 percent, I think, statewide. And in Memphis alone, since that law was passed. Gun thefts from cars have gone up 256%. Mm. And that has coincided with an uptick in homicides. Mm. Mm. Memphis has broken homicide records, 20-year homicide records in the last couple of years. And law enforcement and district attorneys and the TBI, they link that to the guns and trunks law. Mm -hmm. Here in Tennessee, or I'm sorry, here in Nashville, we've had over 600 guns stolen out of cars already this year. Mm -hmm. And here's the thing, 150 of those cars were unlocked. Yes, right. So those people are not responsible gun owners. Mm -hmm. And the way that statute was written, it said that if you're going to keep a gun in your car, you're required to secure it out and not in plain view in a locked vehicle. So... Those people are not only not responsible, they're also not law abiding. Mm -hmm. So anyway, all of this to say that the types of policies that we're talking about have no impact on the vast majority of gun owners in the state who are responsible and who are law abiding. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the majority of Tennesseans support expanding background checks. Mm -hmm. The majority of Tennesseans support, uh, at this point, a majority of Tennesseans support stronger gun laws in general. Mm -hmm. It's gone up to, I believe it was... Uh, 34% maybe in 2016 and 2018 had gone up to like 58%. I mean, it was a significant uptick in the number of people who favor stronger gun laws. So, and that includes gun owners. Well, I think it's interesting that um, I think that Tennesseans don't like to be told what to do right. by outsiders. Right. And here we're letting all this happen because yes. of inner. I know there's members and things like here, but I sure. think a lot of this pressure yes is is outside it of comes, us and absolutely so, so we we shouldn't um, be so willing to well, let and, that and happen as much as i try and steer away from hyperbole and rhetoric um i can't say that that's necessarily the case with um 
other organizations on the other side of this issue. Mm -hmm. And I have seen what they do. I used to be an NRA member. I get their emails. And so what's really interesting is I get their legislative alerts and I see the way they talk about my legislation, legislation that I know the intent of legislation that, you know, I know what it's intended to do. And I see the way that they twisting, they twist it. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's crazy. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. you know, in the end it's bad for public, safety and it's bad for public health and it's bad for tennessee yes um let's talk about an issue with with the children and then as uh what's been going on with so we have a problem in tennessee with um kids gaining access to irresponsibly and negligently stored firearms Mm -hmm. um we have been trying since 2016 to pass legislation that we call Michaela's Law. It's named for a little girl named Michaela Dyer, an eight-year-old in White Pine, Tennessee, who was playing with her puppy, um, she and her sister, in the front yard of their trailer. And a little boy next door, an 11-year-old, stuck his head out the window and asked if he could play with the puppy, too. And Michaela said no. So he grabbed his dad's loaded shotgun that was stored accessible to this this child and stuck the gun out the window and shot and killed Michaela uh, in her front yard. She died in her mother's arms. Um, that little boy, who was 11 at the time, was charged with murder and convicted um, and is in a juvenile detention center where he will remain until he's 18. But that boy's father, whose gun was used, was never charged with any crime um, and has since left the, the state. Um, our feeling is that if you are an adult gun owner and you leave a loaded weapon accessible to children and a child picks that gun up and fires it and injures and kills themselves or someone else, then you as the adult gun owner are responsible and should be held accountable. Um, Michaela's law would only pertain to um, instances where children under the age of 13 gained access to a firearm, and there would only be charges if there was an injury or a death as a result of the shooting. It does not mandate how people have to store their weapons. Um, You know, it basically says you can store your guns however you want to store them, but if someone gets injured or killed as a result of the way that you stored your weapons, then there'll be consequences. Mm-hmm. Um, that seems reasonable to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems reasonable to a lot of other states that have that have strong laws. That type of law is called a child access prevention law or a CAP law, which is different than a safe storage law. Some states that have very strong gun laws have safe storage laws. Safe storage laws actually do mandate how guns have to be stored. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. As you mentioned, Tennesseans do not like to be told what to do. Um, And so, you know, our legislation, our bill does not tell people how to store their guns, but it does create a consequence if um, someone's irresponsible choice results in in someone being injured or killed Mm -hmm. as a result. You know, what a lot of people mistakenly believe is that if you educate children about firearms and tell Mm -hmm. them not to pick up a firearm, then they won't do it. Um, which is silly because any of us who are parents who have ever been around toddlers know that you can tell a child not to do something, especially a little kid, um, but that's no guarantee that they're not going to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and even older kids who know better, um, you know, they're still children and they're still prone to making bad choices. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we always say that 
every parent should educate their children about gun safety. Even if they don't have a gun in their home, they should talk to their kids about guns. They should talk to their kids about, um, you know, what to do if they find a gun. Or at their friends. Or if they're at a friend's house and the friend produces a gun. I mean, you need to have those conversations 100%. I have no problem Mm -hmm. with Mm -hmm. educating your children, and you should. That's an important responsibility of every parent. But that is in no way a substitute for responsible gun storage. Um, you know, that is your number one job as a gun owner to keep your hands, your gun out of the hands of unauthorized users, especially the hands of curious kids. Did Michaela's law pass? No, no, no. It has not passed. We have uh, run that bill every year since 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, we filed it last year, but did not run it, but we will be running it in 2020, and we will run it um every year until we get it until we get it through um you know that's another piece of legislation where we find um broad consensus uh republicans democrats gun owners non-gun owners who agree that something has to be done you know in a perfect world every gun owner would be responsible in a perfect world every gun owner would you know store their gun in a locked safe or with a trigger lock with the ammunition stored separately you know all of the ways that you're supposed to store it um but we don't live in a perfect world and unfortunately some gun owners are not responsible and we have to create a deterrent there's really no other way around it and you know again the objective with this is not to throw grieving parents into jail um the, the 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 point is to create a deterrent, much the way that DUI laws created a deterrent. Exactly. I was I was trying to think of different examples. I was coming back to speeding. You don't yes. have to speed, right? Just to know that that would be a bad choice. Absolutely. And certainly uh, DUI um, carrying drugs to work. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot. Well, there's a of lot of things sure. that that we don't. Do I mean, I would say I don't have a criminal mind. There's some, <laughs> you, you read about some crimes and you're like, huh, I would have never, I would have I never, never thought, of, thought that. of that. But, um, yeah, it's, it, and the, and the teen suicide, I just remember that you said we were fourth. Yes. And most and of the children use guns that they find that they, that they at find. Home. Yeah. Um, and really most guns that end up in schools, um, you know, a lot of those guns are coming from home as well Mm -hmm. um and you know again there's this idea that parents have especially with teenagers um that they think you know a lot of parents don't even they think their kids don't even know where their guns are stored um Mm -hmm. and you know you have a kid uh who had a bad day at school they got a bad grade they come home their mom yells at them because their room's a mess they get grounded their girlfriend or boyfriend breaks up with them they don't get invited to a party they get harassed online sure the bullying and you know and it's it's something that in their world Mm -hmm. um is like the the worst worst it's devastating Mm -hmm. and and they can't see that it's not it's temporary exactly or that tomorrow would be a better exactly day. or this time next week these are not even going to be issues that are, are troubling but the thing is what we know about firearm suicide whether you're talking about young people or adults um, and there's been a lot of study done on this 
firearm suicides, first of all, suicide in general is a, generally speaking, a very impulsive act. People don't necessarily Mm -hmm. understand that. People assume that suicide is something people contemplate for months and months and months. Um, Most people make the decision to kill themselves and act on it like within an hour. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's very impulsive. But what's unique about firearm suicides is their impulsivity it takes very little planning if you have access to a loaded firearm like that's doesn't take a lot of planning Mm -hmm. and of course the lethality Mm -hmm. firearm suicides are very successful that's the the term that they use i mean you know um the i believe the the most common suicide attempt is taking pills but like the success rate for that is like less than 10 percent, like maybe four or five percent um Whereas gun suicides, I mean, the success rate, and again, I hate to use that term, but that's a term that, that's used, is, you know, 90% or higher. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least some really terrible outcome. Well, exactly. Yeah, on the other side. On the other side. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, really, I mean, if you, you know, if you put a gun to your head and pull the trigger, like, that's that's pretty much going to be it. And so, again, when you, especially whether you're talking about adults, but especially when you're talking about young people, you have this permanent solution to what's a temporary you know a temporary problem all because of access to that firearm okay Okay. well um beth thank you for that information (laughs) i'm sorry it's so depressing but um we again your website um is is um excellent there is just it information just changes all the time and uh um if you sign up to be a member, get the newsletters. We'll, uh, the legislative session um, in Tennessee will start about mid yeah January. January. Mm-hmm. And uh, once you're on the list, um, people don't have to be reading a couple of newspapers or filing through Tennessee.gov. You'll right. do all that. <laughs> we do all of that for you. And um, you just send. You know what's you know what's going on. I know that sometimes the the, the follow up. You know because you're very 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 busy. So you don't always know what the vote was, right. but you you get around to your right. uh, your fans. Um, well, we try quickly. and keep people up to date on social media as well. Mm-hmm. So I would definitely encourage people right. if you're on Facebook or Twitter mm-hmm. uh, to follow us. It's um, Safe Tennessee Project on Facebook and at Safe Ten S A F E T E N N on Twitter. Um, and you know, one of the things that we try and do really with our social media is just raise awareness about gun violence. So we um, track all the shootings that happen in our state on a daily basis and post links to those stories. And I, 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 I'm told quite a bit by people who start following us. You know, they're like, "My God, I had no oh, idea." Yes, I, I get the Tennessee and I'm online. I get the little little summary, right? So I pick up the things that I'm most concerned about or most interested in. And then um, I, I do get the paper from uh, Chattanooga Times Free Press because. Right. I do this. Right, right. I, I cut, cut out. out. <laughs> and uh, somebody tried to put me, you know, online. I was like, no, I have my scissors. <laughs> yes. Um, um, for that. And it is it is amazing. I mean, if... Well, I mean, you know, just in any it, given it's day, just, it's yes. like, you know, there was, a, you know, a man who shot his wife in Memphis. And then in like a rural area, there was, you know, two neighbors that got in a fight and one of them shot the other. And then in Knoxville, there was like shots fired and somebody was you know, shot, and they don't know who shot them. And then there was, like, a, you know, a drive-by, like, in North Nashville. I mean, and that could just be in a in one day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's important for people to really understand the, the scope mm-hmm. um, and to not 
um, become numb to it. Right, right. And, and it's and easy to become numb to it because you turn on the news at night. And I mean, you know, sometimes it's one. like the first five to seven minutes of the newscast are just covering shootings mm-hmm. and you just kind of become numb to it. But, you know, as a society, as people, and certainly as a person of faith myself, I mean, you know, I, I, we can't turn a blind eye to this, especially mm-hmm. when we know that there are things that can mm-hmm. be done. And the other thing that um, Beth showed me was a book that her organization has compiled about lots and lots of statistics. And we, um, because we have a rural audience, the rural counties are just up there as much yes. as in the city and that you would expect, I think, the opposite Totally. So when you look at rate, right, which is like the way that you kind of evaluate apples to apples, oranges to oranges, that is where you look at like the number of deaths or injuries per 100,000 people. And the reason you do that is because if 10 people were shot in Memphis, that would be a good year. Um, But if 10 people were shot in like a small county with like 500 people, like that would be devastating. So that's how you how you evaluate rate. And so what we, you know, are, are always trying to educate people about is, you know, trying to, you know, people have preconceptions, and they assume that all the gun violence happening in Tennessee is happening in Memphis or in Nashville. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, to be fair, there is a lot of gun violence happening. In Chattanooga. In Chattanooga. There's a lot a of, of happening in our, in our bigger cities, but there is also a lot happening in our rural areas. And really what we see, and we could do a whole other podcast on this, but what we see a lot in our rural areas, there are definitely homicides and domestic violence shootings unintentional shootings for sure um but the suicides in the rural areas are are staggering mm-hmm. um firearm suicides disproportionately impact uh rural middle-aged and older white men mm-hmm. um I mean, suicides in Tennessee and nationwide make up about two-thirds of gun deaths. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's a, that's a whole separate conversation that we need to have. A lot mm-hmm. of it's veterans. Um, but, uh, you know, and there's a lot of reasons behind that, why we see that type of, um, you know, those types of numbers. But that's something that we can't leave out of any conversation that we're having about gun violence. And that's where certain types of legislation, like extreme risk protection orders, um, come into right. play. Mm-hmm. Because as it is right now, if you have fear that your dad, your brother, your mom, your sister, your friend, whoever, um, might be contemplating killing themselves, um, there's nothing that you can do to intervene and, and remove a gun from them mm-hmm. legally. And, and we talk about uh, that in rural areas are in Tennessee are rough. That's why right. I, I, I do this. You know, yes. we have small businesses that are struggling, we have yes. farmers that are struggling, yes. jobs, transportation. Now our hospitals are closing, yes. so there's illness that can't be adequately um, diagnosed. And, and It's a lot treated. easier to get your hands on a gun than it is to get your doctor, get to a doctor mm-hmm. to talk about what you may be going through. And again, mm-hmm. I'm not talking about some kind of chronic you know, quote unquote, crazy mental illness. I'm talking about depression um, and, you know, stress. Um, And, you know, if you can't talk to somebody about that and process that, but you can get your hands on a firearm, unfortunately, what we see is that a lot of times people are are taking their own lives. Well, Beth, it's been so lovely talking with you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I thank all all the listeners for for tuning in to... um, um, the podcast 
Um, do check out the website. Do think about what's going on in our state, in our country. Um, this report, by the way, that we were referencing, mm-hmm. it is on our website. You okay, can download good. it. It's about 72 pages, so I don't know if you want to print it, but you can actually okay. look okay. through and, and look see all the, of the data and the charts and the statistics. Some of the charts just show the red line, Tennessee, just outpacing the, the national US. picture. So if you kind of dramatically, want, if, if you're kind of thinking, oh, well, you know, it's better here. It's bad. It's better here. Yeah, it's much okay. better here. <laughs> and then remember that um, December 14th is the seventh anniversary of Sandy Hook, where 20 children ages six, seven, six and seven babies and six of their brave teachers were gunned down uh, in a school. The aftermath is almost as heartbreaking as the day itself. And uh, we didn't get a chance to talk about this, but some of the things these families have gone through. Mm, the harassment. Um, the harassment, it's, it's and it horrible. didn't really happen, is, is terrible. But So we'll end up uh, on that happy note. <laughs> and um, everybody have a good holiday season. Um, we'll have one more episode, um, I think, on the New Green Deal before we take a, a break. So thanks for listening to uh, What About Us.